0: Well, good morning, Twin Cities Church. It is indeed a, a beautiful morning. Um, we're going to continuing our series on the book of Ezekiel. The nation of Israel was encountering, uh, literally, the, the nation was collapsing. Uh, so Ezekiel prophesied to the nation uh, throughout the period uh, prior to the collapse and then after the collapse as well. And uh, to this morning's subject is leadership. And I think that we would all have to agree that we've seen and really have been participants in um, a, a life, a political life, a civic life that really has highlighted the importance of leadership, uh, leadership virtue, leadership integrity, um, and, and how people are drawn to leadership, either good leadership or bad leadership, drawn to participate in the um, the 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 causes the purposes the identities that they are uh, leading in and uh, we've seen these kinds of uh, these kinds of effects and so we see the roles that leaders play again for good or for bad and a a leader's integrity obviously um, will affect the the longevity the effectiveness the um, the goodness um, of, of whatever it is they are calling people to follow them into. Um, and so uh, Ezekiel, in, in prophesying the word of God, he's got 48 different prophecies throughout the book of Ezekiel, and one entire prophecy is on leadership. And we're going to look at uh, a number of things that led to the collapse of, of Israel, God calls out a, a number of things that the nation and its leaders were guilty of that ultimately led to the collapse of the nation. So we're going to look at um, really uh, one of the problems that Israel was having, one of the sins or the transgressions that they were engaged in, was unchecked spread of conspiracies that led to violence. Uh, one of them was the oppression of the poor, the needy, the immigrant. Uh, we see that Israel was guilty of dishonoring the family and of unchecked sexual immorality. Israel had a disregard for the Sabbath. And then today we're going looking at, as I've said, the failure of the nation of Israel's leadership and its role in its collapse. But underneath all of these things, and, and we're not going to spend uh, an entire message on this issue, but underneath all of these issues is always the fundamental issue that leads to our sins and to our transgressions, and that is, that is our idolatries. And throughout all of the prophets, really, and Ezekiel certainly, uh, I think, probably um, is, is, is as heavy as any of them in focusing on the issue of idolatry and how that was the cause of Israel's Demise And literally, as we saw last week, God t- tells them that they have forgotten him, that they have forgotten him, and that repeatedly Ezekiel says, well, God says through the mouth of Ezekiel that he is going to do things and that those things that he does, whether in blessing or in judgment, will, lead, will bring Israel to the point where they will know that he is God, God is going to show them that he indeed is Lord. He indeed is their Lord and God and King, uh, and they will not forget him again. Now, when we typically, I'm going to spend just a little bit of time here on this. When we typically think of idolatry, especially as we read through uh, ancient texts in the Bible, we understand idolatry to be the worship of objects made of, of stone or metal or wood. And really, that's not the heart of idolatry. Um, those objects made of, of wood or, or stone or metal were all were all representatives of areas of our life that we seek hope in. So there were gods of uh, fertility, gods of, of, the, of farming, gods of war, gods of wine. And so all these things that, that human beings have a tendency to put their hope in, uh, they had uh, objects made of wood and stone and, and metal that represented the gods that they believed to be over those various aspects of their lives. And so really the, the, heart, of, the heart of idolatry is the, the placing of our affections, the placing of our hopes, uh, the, the loving of things that God has created rather than putting our our hopes and loving god the creator and so we perceive that that these things are actually what brings us life and so the ancient israelites worshipped uh, what they believed to be gods over these various spheres of life so that they would have success and happiness and prosperity in those things and they literally forgot god who was the creator of those things and the source of all those things. And and so God comes at them and says, listen, you you have sought to find life in those things that do not give life. And if they do not give life, they only can lead to death. And that's really what happens when we are idolatrous, when we seek happiness and prosperity in things other than the lord we will experience the consequences of death so that's going to be physical pain it's going to be emotional and psychological pain it's going to be financial pain our lives will eventually collapse until we repent and that's what had happened to israel this happens not just to individuals it happens to to communities and families and nations as well and so Not only were they guilty of all of these other things, at the root of it was really they they had forgotten God and they had stopped loving and seeking their prosperity and hope at him. And again, we're going to come to this concern of leaders. And I think one of the things that we've seen uh, throughout the last four years, but really throughout all history, is is that we as people either put too much hope and trust in human leaders or we completely reject them all together and so today uh you know especially in light of the the, the week that we've had um, and the season that we've had in regard to the the political life and our civic life with with COVID and all the other things that have been going on i think it's really appropriate that we look at um, the role of leaders uh, in an effective and productive society uh, and what happens when they do not do their jobs and so ezekiel uses the metaphor of shepherds and sheep. And so it's an agri- agrarian metaphor here. The shepherds are literally the, the kings of Israel, the kings of Israel, the former kings of Israel, especially. Um, and so Israel what, well what God does, what God does is he brings charges against Israel's shepherds, brings charges against Israel's kings. And there are a number of things that he addresses. He says, first of all, you ate the fat, you drank the milk, you took the best of the land, you you tore the wool off the sheep for your own clothing. And essentially what, what he's saying here is that you kings exploited the people for your own benefit. You fed yourselves, but you didn't feed the sheep. You clothed yourselves, but you didn't clothe the sheep. And if you remember, well, and then he says, you, and then you killed anybody that stood in your way. And so one of the stories in the Kings, so the books of First and Second Kings and the books of First and Second Chronicles really narrate the story of Israel's king's failures. So if you can remember the story, if you've read it, there's a story of one of its kings. His name was Ahab, and uh, he had a wife named Jezebel. And Ahab was traveling home one day, and he happened to pass a vineyard owned by one of the people of the land, an Israelite. He passed this vineyard. He thought it was a particularly beautiful vineyard. Um, and he offered to buy the vineyard from this, from this family. And the family said, no, this vineyard has been in our family for generations and generations and generations. We can't, we can't get rid of it. It's our, it's our livelihood. And so the king goes back to his palace, and he, and he is crying and moping and feeling sorry for himself for a long period of time. And his wife comes in, and she um, rebukes him for, for really uh, pouting. And she says, uh, are you going to let this, this Israelite do this to you? You're the king. And so what they did is they had this man and his family killed, and they took the vineyard for their own and did not even pay for it. And so those kinds of stories are spread throughout the stories of the kings in how they took advantage of the people for their own, for their own well-being. He said, you failed to see to the, to the care of the weak, the sick, and the injured. So the vulnerable people of the land, the kings disregarded. They didn't provide any help at all. It said they, God said that the kings failed to seek out the lost. They failed to seek out those who had left. So some people just went wayward because the king uh, was really not providing any sort of leadership. Um, and then there are some who just rejected what was going on in the nation. They got tired of, of constantly being under assault, and so they just, they just left the nation. And actually, the story of Ruth, um, which happened long before The period of the kings, but you see people getting frustrated, and and Ruth's family left because of what was going on in Israel at that time. And so, Israel's kings were to take responsibility to seek out those who who were lost, to seek out those who had left, and try to bring them back in. And finally, Ezekiel says that you know your leadership has been characterized um, by harshness and by force. The kings did not have the hearts of the people. If you remember the transition from Solomon to his son uh, Rehoboam, uh, Rehoboam became king, and and then he he asked the people of the land what they would what they what they sought from him as their king, and they they said listen your son your your father Solomon was really hard on us we had to we had to work excessively hard the taxes were high, uh, so Rehoboam goes off and he he talks to the old counselors and advisors and says. You know what should i do and they said well lighten the load lighten the taxes that would be a wise thing and if you do that you will have the hearts of your people then he talked to his young friends they were all in their 20s and they're like no 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 tax them even more put even more work on their on their shoulders and so he went back to the people and said if you thought my my father was bad uh, my father's thigh is like my little finger i will double the taxes i will double your work and the people rebelled and that split apart the kingdom into two parts israel with the northern ten tribes and judah the southern two tribes and so you had harshness and force harshness and 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 um, intimidation being the characterizing qualities of israel's kings uh, from then on out and so the consequences of their bad leadership is that the people were scattered among the nations they they grew weak as a kingdom, they lost the protection and the promises of God, and it says, well, in the metaphor of sheep and shepherds, the the sheep became food for wild beasts, which are the the metaphor for the foreign kings that came and attacked them and continued to kill them and take their lands and take their people into captivity. The nation was devoured. They had exploited God's sheep. And so God comes back, and he says, you know what, I'm going to as a consequence, I'm removing the kingship. I'm removing Israel's kings. They will no longer have a king over them. I will come in and I will be king. I will establish my rule. And so in contrast to all of these accusations that Ezekiel listed off as failures on, on the part of Israel's leadership, in contrast, God would do just the opposite. He says, that I will seek out and I will gather my people. So that's the first thing that God's got to do. They're all scattered. He's got to bring them back because his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, he will still continue to fulfill. His promise to David that there will be a king on the nation of Israel forever and establish peace forever for Israel, those promises are still holding. Israel's unfaithfulness will not make it so that God goes back on those unconditional promises that He made to those people, so He's not He's going to go He's going to seek them out He's going to bring them back in He's going to give them the best of the land, you know. Whereas as the kings and the aristocracy, the fat sheep in the in the text, uh, they took the land and then they made it so that people couldn't even come after them and and eat of it and drink of it. Well, God's going to provide the best of the land. God's going to provide the security and the peace. God is going to heal the injured, and God is going to strengthen the weak. See, the, the, the longings that we all have as people, regardless of where we're at politically, I believe that these are the things that we all long, long for. We, we all have a different approach, or these philosophies and systems and, and ideas, they have a different approach of how to get there. But I think in essence that we're all really striving for these things. We want a, a, a beautiful earth. We want a good land. We want it to be productive, to provide for ourselves and our families and our loved ones and our cities and our nations. We want a society that takes care of its, that takes care of its vulnerable. We want a society that's prosperous. And so these are the things that God said that he was going to do. But he had to bring judgment. He had to bring judgment upon the leaders, but also its people. And this is is an important principle for us to recognize. As I said last week, is a a quote from Morris Berman. He says, a nation deserves its leaders. And that's a a philosophical concept that's been, uh, and a political, political science concept that's been uh, in existence for a long time. A nation, deser- a, a, a nation deserves its leaders. And so God is not only going to bring judgment upon the leaders and remove them from ruling, there are people within the nation who are also guilty of oppression. They're also guilty. Of of domination. They're also guilty of all of these other sins that are leading to the collapse of the nation. And God says, I'm gonna come in. I'm only not only am I gonna judge the leaders, I am going to separate the sheep from the sheep. I'm gonna judge the sheep from the sheep. So there we as people can't put all of the the failures of our nation upon the shoulders of our leaders. We are responsible. For our leaders we are responsible for the things that we do that contribute to the welfare or the lack of welfare in our society as well so nobody is going to be escaping the judgment of god when he comes and judges not only israel but also the, the, all the nations and so really what's happening here is that ezekiel is speaking to the recent history the last several hundred years of israel's history to the point where they were exiled and scattered to the nations but ezekiel once again is also like he did in, in chapter 20 last week when we were looking at all of the various sins that they were being judged for um, we were also been we also were given by ezekiel a vision for the future and so god is saying listen there is still a future for the nation of israel there is still a future for the nations of the world and it's going to be when i come It's going to be when I come and play my role as king and establish a world that has these positive and good characteristics. And so we have before us, I think, um, a constant, really a, a paradox of leaders and the people. We see here the importance of leadership there is a role that leaders play but we also see the failures of leaders and as a consequence of those failures the places that we can go uh, as nations um, because of their weaknesses and because of their failures it can lead to societal collapse so when we look at leaders we see that they are important for these things they they unify people around a common ideal or purpose. There has to be a voice, there has to be a direction. Leaders provide that. Leaders are responsible for the work needed to keep the collective together. So once people are drawn to an identity, once people are drawn to a vision or to a purpose, uh, now the leader has the responsibility to see that this collective group of people is cared for. There needs to be protection. There's laws, there's enforcement, there's, there's justice. There are the foundations for a a flourishing economy. There is the care for the vulnerable. We see these things not only in in Israel's history and what God promises to Israel, but also in our nations as well. So we have two problems, though. Um, We, as people in our society, we don't often agree with the philosophies or the systems of governance that our leaders have. You know, maybe we don't agree with the party that got voted in. Maybe we don't agree with how the the nation used to be ruled. Maybe we agree with the way it is now. These things change. These things change. Um, The other problem is that everyone in the system sins. Regardless of the political system, regardless of how good it is, regardless of how, how bad or corrupt it may be, as a system or as a philosophy, Everyone in the system, its people and its leaders, are all sinful. We all make mistakes. We are all um, treacherous. We are all dishonest. We are all self-serving. And so we have this this need as people for leaders to create and to hold a good society, a good nation, a good church, a good family, whatever social grouping you want to call it. We as a people need leaders. But the problem is, is that everybody in the the group is evil to some degree. And so the, the consequences of this problem, or this paradox, I think, is that we either completely support our leaders without reservation, we buy into everything that they're saying, we buy into everything that they're doing, or we completely reject our leaders and we seek our own ways, and really what the Scripture says, we become, we seek our own selves, we become independent, we become isolated, and really, biblically, neither of these ways is right. We cannot wholeheartedly believe in and follow human leaders, but we cannot completely reject the need for human leaders either. And so the, the kingdom of God has a different perspective it has a different perspective because the kingdom of God has as its leader, has as its king, has as its president or prime minister or whatever term you want to give it, its primary leader is Jesus Christ, and he is the one good king. And so the king, as Jesus said when he came, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Repent. And... and. What did repent mean at that time for the the people that Jesus was speaking to? Well, there were people who were longing for a human ruler to rise up and overthrow the Roman government. Jesus was calling them to repent from that. There were people that wanted um, to completely rebel against Israel and its people. There were people in Israel, that's Pharisees and the elite religious leaders, the law the, the scribes, the Pharisees, those lists of people that Jesus was constantly rebuking, they did not want to submit to to Jesus Christ. Uh, they needed to repent as well. So you, you had the leaders, you had the people. They both needed to repent of how they were seeing their lives from a political perspective, and they needed to turn their face to the Messiah who had now come. Who had now come. And as king, Jesus has instructed us on how to live under what would be sub-rulers of this world. There are all kinds of authorities that Jesus calls his people to submit to. The leaders are to live as stewards. One of the things that Ezekiel highlights in this chapter is that these were God's sheep. They were not the king's sheep, they were God's Sheep. And so leaders are called to live as stewards of something that is not their own. They need to be serving for the welfare of people and within the church for the welfare of Jesus' people. All of us are called to submit to leaders. We have civic leaders. We have work leaders. We have family leaders. We have spiritual leaders. There, there, are, there are people in authority over us Uh, everywhere and when jesus says to submit it doesn't mean that we lay down as doormats for people to walk all over us that's not what the word submission means the word submission means that you are making a willing decision to place your agenda underneath the agenda of the person that's in authority over you you set aside your personal ambitions and make somebody else's mission. The word submission means under mission. So if you are in a place where you have an authority in your life, that authority has a mission. That mission should be for the happiness and prosperity of the people in the care of whoever that authority is. And so any person in that group is responsible also for the care and welfare of the group and not their own personal ambition. And the only way that you can do that as a group is for the leader to have that as his agenda or her agenda or the group of leaders to have that as their agenda, and for the people to also have that as their agenda, not to have their own separate agendas. That's what it means uh, to submit. That's what it means to submit. In our civic communities, it's it's not sinning to follow the laws of the government or the laws of the leadership, even when they have a different political philosophy than we do. Jesus's political philosophy is monarchy. Are any of us ready to sign up for, for monarchy right now? There are some nations throughout the world that have monarchies and there are faithful christians who live in those in those monarchies whether they disagree with the the system or not and so we are called as people to submit to our government authorities and whether we agree with the outcome of the election or not this is to be our attitude we are to seek the welfare of our society We are to seek the the good and the happiness and the prosperity of our society. And we have laws and we pay taxes to do these these things. And Jesus calls us to orient ourselves that way, to make the leaders of our governments successful. And and throughout Scripture, we see Jesus' commands to those who are in places of authority to do this in a willing and respectful spirit. Not begrudgingly. Not with disrespect. It is a, it is, and, and we can do this because we understand that Jesus is king. We understand that all of these various rulers, whether it's husbands over their wives and children, or parents over their children, or whether it's our, our multi-levels of employers and bosses in our workplaces, whether it's the, the police departments, or the city council, or our mayor or the the, the governor, or the representatives and and senators, or the president. These are people that Jesus has called to submit to, but they are all sub-rulers. They are all sub-rulers under the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we understand that our care is under a good king, then we can, we can orient ourselves to submit our agendas to the agendas of our leaders, knowing that Christ will take care of us. He has promised these things. Now, we might suffer. We might suffer. We will suffer. Jesus said we will suffer. But Jesus doesn't call us to anything that he, has, he, he himself hasn't done, and he himself hasn't empowered us to fulfill see jesus suffered in submitting to the will of his father in order for himself to experience a greater fullness of joy in order for us to experience a greater fullness of joy he pushed through the suffering that he experienced in submission to the father against the rulers of this world he scorned the shame and he came out for the joy for the joy of it See Jesus as King provides a very dramatic contrast to the rulers of this world. Remember the story of Jesus feeding thousands. We're reading through the Gospel of Mark this week, and both stories about Jesus feeding thousands of people, he only had a little bit to work with. But instead of him and his disciples going off and having a finding, just making sure that they themselves were taken care of, like the, Israel's evil leaders and the aristocracy. Jesus said, "Let's take the little bit that we have and we're going to feed these thousands of people." And see, Jesus Jesus can do that because he's God. But that's the whole point. Jesus is God. He can take a little and he looked to the people who were needy and from his abundance as God, he provided. He provided. Remember when the, 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 the leading elite, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, they brought the woman who had been caught in adultery to Jesus and they wanted Jesus to prescribe judgment upon her. They said, we have caught this woman in the act of adultery, what should we do? What would you say we do? The law of Moses says that she is to be stoned. And so Jesus, knowing the heart of the Pharisees, turned and said, well, those among you who is without sin, you throw the first stone. See, because the law also said that whoever catches someone uh, is also the one responsible to initiate the stoning. The other issue is that the leaders did not bring the man who was also caught in adultery because the law requires that both, has, both the man and the woman caught in adultery were to be stoned. And so the Pharisees uh, were showing their hypocrisy. And they were using this vulnerable woman to get an edge up politically out of concern for their own wealth and for their own political status. They were using this vulnerable woman to get an edge up on Jesus, and Jesus shoved it right back in their face. And then he turned to the vulnerable woman because all of them were most likely guilty of adultery. None of them had the courage or the moral conviction to throw that first stone and so they all left and jesus turned to the adulterous woman and told her to that her sins are forgiven and to go on and to sin no more see jesus didn't disregard or make light of her sin she was acknowledging it and jesus forgave her and then admonished her to stop committing adultery so jesus was just but Jesus cared for the vulnerable and the weak. Jesus sought out the lost and the outcast. Jesus went to the, to the Samaritans. Jesus went to the people that, you remember, uh, the, the, the tax collector, Levi, and the, the religious and political leaders chastised Jesus for hanging out with and eating with the lost and the outcast. And Jesus said, listen, it's not the... It's not the, the healthy that need healing, it's the, it's the sick. And so Jesus pr- proved throughout his life, uh, he, in doing all of these things, he proved that he was the king. And he proved that he could be the king. And he proved that he was the promised servant of David, and so much so that Peter wanted to, the, the people wanted to crown Jesus right then and there. Jesus, we want you to come back. We want you to overthrow Rome. We want you to establish the kingdom. Uh, We don't want you to die. Peter rebuked Jesus for saying that he was going to be crucified by the Romans. and, And Peter confronted Jesus. And then Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get out of my way, Satan. Your agenda is not God's agenda. We long for this picture, this vision pictured here in Ezekiel. We long for peace. We long for security. We long for a place where everyone is cared for. We long for justice. We long for all of our needs met, our food, our clothing, our shelter. We long to be free from exploitation. We long to live in a, in a beautiful planet with abundant natural resources that can supply the needs of its people. We long for this. And that, and that's really what... what God through Jesus and the prophet Ezekiel at this point are promising that kingdom is coming, that world is coming, that leader is coming. But as Jesus said, it's not here yet. When you pray, pray, Lord, may things be done here on earth as they are in heaven. That is a prayer that recognizes that things on earth aren't as they should be, but that they will be, that they will be. And Jesus has called to not rebel, Jesus has called to not dis- called us to not disrespect, Jesus has called us to fully submit to the various rulers of this, of this world, and to pray for its welfare. We are exiles, we are exiles, and we are to pray for the welfare of the nation that we are exiled in, not to overthrow it. Jesus is still seeking out the lost. You see? That's why we are waiting. That's why we are waiting. Jesus is still fulfilling his role as king to seek out the lost. That's what he's called us to. And our way of life in this world, in our action and in our speech, are either going to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, Or they are going to be witnesses of some other agenda that we have that we want to see fulfilled. Are we going to be like Peter? Are we going to be like Peter and want Jesus to rule now and things to go the way we want them to now? Are we going to recognize that Jesus is still seeking the lost? He'll come in his time. And until then, we have a demeanor that reflects the grace and the power of Jesus Christ and the confidence in him that he is ruling well. Yeah, we may suffer, but he's still ruling well. And he's given us the ability through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us for those who have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who have acknowledged that he is king, that he is Lord, that he's paid for our sins, that he's coming, he's defeated Satan, sin and death, that he is the ruler, that he will eventually rule when we believe that Christ is the King and our Savior, that we can put our trust in him and our, give our affections to him, he puts his Holy Spirit in us and that Holy Spirit gives us the ability to endure suffering. This is the prayer in Colossians 1. With joy, patience, and thanksgiving. Now that, that is a power that this world cannot give us. You know, yesterday, after they announced President-elect Biden as the winner, Um, you know, I I live in Uptown, and everybody just kind of went crazy. From that point on, well into the night, we closed our windows. It's too noisy. Cars honking, people shouting. I went on a bike ride. was around uh, Lake of the Isles. Uh, You know, some of those massive mansions with these massive front patios. One of them, they had set up a whole sound system and the whole neighborhood had come together. They were, they were dancing and, and it was quite a scene. in the lawn out there at the Lake of the Isles, uh, lots of people, huge, big parties. It's a huge, big party. You know, the word, the word gospel was used in ancient Rome to proclaim that a new king had been born the response that I saw, at least in my neighborhood, was the response to what they believed to be the gospel. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which I don't think has probably happened very often uh, since COVID hit, as as something that we co- have collectively done together, which is something we really need to address. But when we come together to worship here uh, as a virtual and sometimes in-person service, when we come together and worship in our house churches, these are intended to be celebrations of that nature, celebrations of a proclaimed gospel of a coming king who has come. And and our celebration is is a recognition of that truth and that we believe it. We should be partying every week. Because the true king has come. The true gospel has been proclaimed. The leader who can actually fulfill our longings and our dreams. And what God has put in us and his people and what we should long for. That's why we worship. Every week, every week is a celebration of the gospel of a new king and a new ruler. The king will come. The king will come and the world will be as it should when all the lost sheep have been gathered and that's what we need to devote our lives to let's pray Lord god thank you for the gospel of the kingdom and for the reality of jesus sitting on his throne and god we acknowledge and proclaim that you rule well we don't always understand how you rule We don't understand how you work through the nations to accomplish your purpose, but we believe that you are working all things to unite all things in Jesus Christ. And so we look forward to that day when the king will come, will establish his kingdom here on this earth, and we can dwell in it. And tell them, Lord God, help us to live in such a way that reflects the grace and the power and the love of Jesus Christ in our lives, to be considerate and loving and patient, truthful, bold, honest, so that, this, so that those who are in the world, the elect, those who do not yet know you will come to know you, that the lost would be saved. Help us, God, to live and to speak in such a way to fulfill that end as we submit to you as our king. In your son's name we pray, amen. All right, we've got a little time here for some Q&A, and uh, gonna come up and ask me some questions. Is, you have the phone number there.